Amen. Now I ask you to please stand with me as we look at our passage of Scripture uh, for this morning. Uh, Luke chapter 20, verses 45 to chapter 21, verse 4. So it's gonna, we're going to straddle um, two, two chapters here. Luke 20, 45. And in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater commendation. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, this widow has put in more than all of them, for, she, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in all she had to live on. This is the word of the Lord. May he add its blessings to its reading and to its proclamation. Please be seated. And let's pray again together. Almighty God, as we approach this passage of Scripture, we see two examples, one bad example and one good example. Lord, if we are honest with ourselves and with you, we realize that, that we're most of us are, are somewhere in the middle. And so, Lord, I, I pray that, that you would, by your Spirit, uh, bring in conviction where it is necessary and bring encouragement where it's necessary. Help us, I, I pray, Father, to all of us to consider um, our giving, um, whether it's a, a giving of our uh, our finances or a giving of ourselves and our service. And may you help us, Lord, to uh, follow in in the example of, of this widow as um, as she followed the example of, of God. And, and even though she would not have fully known at that point who Christ was, we trust that she is now with Christ. Whereas the, the scribes who Jesus warned against are now eternally separated from Christ. Lord, we know that we're not separated from you based on, on what we do, but on what you have done, on our faith in you and you alone. But Father, I pray that as those who have been purchased by the blood of Christ, that, that we would seek to give sacrificially, Lord, of, of, of the, the best of what we have, the best of what we are, for your glory, for the advance of the gospel in this little local church, and for your kingdom here and around the world. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning, I'm going to be dealing with a topic that, that frankly, I feel a little bit of discomfort over. It's not that I feel uncomfortable at all with what the Bible is saying here, but it's, it's uncomfortable uh, for me to say it. And the issue is that of giving. And part of the reason I feel uncomfortable is because I don't want to be misunderstood when I talk about these things. I, I don't want anyone to think that I'm, I'm being mercenary or, or, or self-serving in talking about giving because it's, it's not going to do anything to affect my salary. And it's even more uncomfortable because next week we're going to be having our church's annual general members meeting. And as part of that members meeting, we're going to be talking about, about the previous years, about this, the past year's finances, and about, about the budget for the coming year. And 
Pastor Joshua and I are going to be sitting down this week to work on the budget. And and uh, if you were at the members meeting last fall, you, you know that it's going to be a, a tight budget. Um, that our giving um, took a, a really big hit in the last year. And we've lost a number of people. Some have moved, but, but a, a number of people left as part of the church split. And, and it's really um, created financial um, challenges. And, and it's not that... It's not that the church is, is at this point struggling financially, but the giving is, is way down. And so as I talk about these things, and again, I didn't, I didn't plan to talk about these things at this time, um, but, but I, I, I could see and, I, and I, I want you to know that I'm not thinking about anybody personally when I talk about this. Um, I, I really have, have no idea who gives how much in the church. I, I intentionally stay out of those things. Um, but, but I, again, I don't, I don't want, I don't, so it's not me personally. I don't want it to hammer anybody um, on this. But in God's providence, this comes up now as part of, of my exposition of Luke. And as you think about a, 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 when we prepare our hearts, and even as I've been talking, you're probably thinking, oh man, he's, this is going to be a really uncomfortable sermon. He's going to be reaching into my back pocket. But I really, I really hope that you will actually find some encouragement as we as we go through this. I, I think you you'll be encouraged as, as you think about uh, about the example of of the widow's might. And uh, and I think many of us do need to be encouraged because we have a very generous church. Many people are very generous in their giving and and giving not just of their finances but of themselves. And so again, I don't I don't want you to to feel nervous or, or discouraged about what I'm going to say, but I do want all of us, we all of us need to, as we examine this passage, to let the Holy Spirit examine our hearts and to help us to examine our hearts and to reveal um, what's what's in there, what we need to repent of. So again, I hope we'll find some encouragement as we as we look at the contrast between the, the scribe's hypocrisy and the widow's might. The scribe's proud piety and selfishness are contrasted with the widow's humble devotion and sacrificial giving. So Jesus here presents the contrast in their behavior as an important lesson for his disciples and as an important lesson for us. And the contrast between these two groups is going to reform our, our two points this morning. So in verses uh, chapter 20, verses 45 to 47, we'll see the scribe's hypocrisy, the scribe's selfishness, and then contrasted with, in chapter 20, verses 1 to 4, the widow's generosity. So this, this passage reminds us all to, to put off pride and selfishness and to put on humility and generosity. It also helps us to have faith as we consider what God can do with, with even our meager giving. So then, first of all, verses 45 to 47, the scribe's selfishness. Remember the context here that, that Jesus has just entered Jerusalem. This is the last week of his earthly ministry before the religious leaders are going to hand him over to be crucified. And, and they have come, the religious leaders have come in wave after wave, really a, a tsunami of questions. 
where they're questioning Jesus, not really to want to know what Jesus thought on these issues, but to try to entrap him and to try to, to discredit him and even to get the Romans to destroy him. And as we'll, we'll see in, in the coming weeks, they're going to, in a sense, at least momentarily, for, for, for a short time, they're going to get their way. As we saw last week, after the Sadducees, who didn't believe in the afterlife, tried to entrap Jesus about a, with a question about marriage in the resurrection. Remember, they were, they were trying to pit Jesus' teaching against Moses' teaching. But Jesus, in his answer, showed that it was actually the Sadducees who claimed to be experts and to rely on the Torah. They're the ones that did not understand Moses' teaching. And so Jesus relays the encounter of, of Moses with with the Lord in the burning bush, showing that God is the God of the living. So he shows that the Pharisee or the, the Sadducees rather did not understand eternal life. And then remember the scribes came to Jesus, are really agreeing with what he had said about eternal life, and said to him that he's spoken well. Now, so at this point, as I said to the kids, in Matthew and Mark, we find recorded the account of the scribe testing Jesus by asking him what is the greatest commandment. And again, Jesus easily answers by saying, you should love the Lord with all your, the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He says, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And it's in Matthew, there are 22 to 30, Matthew 22, 37 to 40. And so Luke doesn't include that interaction, but, but now Jesus proves that the scribes, who these supposed teachers of the law, are actually lawbreakers. That they are actually lawbreakers. So Jesus now turns, or rather, so Jesus then turned to address the scribes, these religious lawyers, asking them how the Christ could be David's son, while David called him Lord. Now they're supposed to be experts in the word of God, but they had no answer. So Jesus shows them that they're really not as qualified as they think they are in expounding the word of God. So now Jesus turns away from the religious leaders and turns to his disciples. The, they had tried and failed to discredit Jesus, and now Jesus is going to openly discredit them. He's going in the offensive. He's done this already repeatedly throughout his gospel account. But this is meant very much to teach his disciples in the days prior to his crucifixion. About the warnings, with warnings about the, the dangers of the, the scribes and, and the Pharisees as well as in Matthew, their attitude and their behavior. In Matthew, we see included a much longer pronouncement of woe upon the scribes and the Pharisees. Luke recorded a different occasion where Jesus had, had done that, to pronounce woe upon them. But Jesus is now speaking directly to the disciples within earshot of the gathered crowds. This message is for them as well. So these men, specifically the scribes, but the, the Pharisees as well, are, are guilty of being proudly pietistic. Proudly pietistic. They, they acted as though they were holy, but it was just a veneer. So see, they were, they were hypocrite. They were hypocrites. So in the Greek is 
Hippocrates, they were, they were, they were actors. Their, their pretended show of, of righteousness was all just a facade. So Jesus lists their fruit. He lists six ways in which they show their hypocrisy, six, six ways that they break God's law. And this breaking of the law is made much worse because of their pretended righteousness. So first, they like to walk around in long robes. The, the scribes wore long robes with, with a mantle, a, a decorated fringe that, that ran with a decorated fringe that ran all the way down to their feet. And the, these robes were seen as a as a, a sign of distinction, marking them as as different from everybody else, as better than everybody else in their minds. Now, and you might think, well, there's there's nothing wrong with with wearing a, a religious robe because after all, the, in the, under the ceremonial law, the priests were required to wear ornate robes. But those robes, robes were meant to draw attention away from the priests themselves and to, to bring glory to God. And we see during the, in, the, in church history, during the time of the Puritans, there was great debate called the vestments controversy about, about, about whether preachers should, should wear robes or not. And the, the Puritans did not like the, the ornate robes of, of the Catholic priests because it was, it was drawing attention to man, much like these scribes. So the issue here is that, that, Jesus, that Jesus identified that the scribes wanted to, they liked to walk around in long robes. They were, they were happy and proud of, of their, their long robes. They, they wanted to be seen as different. And so in this, the scribes are breaking the first commandment. This is idolatry. It was, it was worship of self. Now, as I was preparing this, I've, I've actually felt a little bit of, of conviction uh, about wearing my cap and gown at, at my graduation. And I wonder, okay, what was, what was my heart in this? I think they took down my heart on this. I think if I was to walk around town with a, a graduation cap and gown, I'd be, I'd be thought of as, as weird or maybe more weird than people already think I am. But what, what do you see as a, as a parallel in the church today? And, and you know, as, as I look around, I'm not judging how anybody's dressed, but, but, we, ha- but we, you know, people dress in, in different levels. Of, there's no real command about how you should dress uh, at, at church. But the question is an issue of heart. Do, do you dress in order for people to see you? Do you dress so that, that people will think much of you when, when you come to church? You know, I, I, I think that there's a place for wanting to dress up when you come to church because this is, the, this is a special day. It's, it's, you know, you, you wouldn't go for, for dinner at a dignitary's house, you, you know, dressed in, in shorts and flip-flops. Now, as I've said this before, in Australia, you could preach and eat a little Lord's Supper service in shorts and flip-flops and nobody would think, you know, it's a cultural difference. But the issue, the issue again, is one of heart. You know, I think of, of when, I was, when I was a kid, I was brought up in the United Church and, 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 and women there tended to wear hats and, and some of them would wear these, like, these big kind of fancy hats and they, they wanted to be seen. I've been wearing these, these hats. But if you happen to be sitting behind them, you couldn't see anything except the hat. But again, it's and, it, and it's it's from I think it's a misunderstanding of, of 1 Corinthians chapter eleven about head coverings and all and all that. But that's a conversation from another time. But but again, the issue is one of heart. The issue is one of heart. Second, 
They loved greetings in the marketplaces. They, they loved to be addressed as rabbi or, or master or teacher in public. And in one sense, there's really nothing wrong with the title. Jesus was called all these things, and Jesus, Jesus is all these things. But Jesus did not have any of the associated pride. Again, it's not the problem with the, the title itself. Jesus does say elsewhere not to call any man father. You get one, one God who's his father in heaven. There's no Roman Catholic Church does with that. But, but, but the issue is not in, in using the title itself, but in the pride associated with the title. The pride associated with the title. Some people call me Pastor John, and, and others call me John. I usually tell people, I said, you know what, whatever you want, to, to call me is fine with John or, or Pastor John. He's saying, don't call me late for dinner. But but you can, thanks for laughing, it's a dad joke. But but it, but you, but you whatever people want to call me is, is fine with me. Um, it, it's really it's really up to you. But I'm reminded of when I, I first passed my, my oral defense for my doctoral work. The last step in the process was uh, I had to defend defend my work before before two of the professors one of the pastors one of the professors and and I was elated as I passed my defense and walked out of there and and one of the other professors was was sitting um, in the office and he said well you know just make sure you don't you know you don't make people call you doctor and I said oh man I'm gonna have to get rid of my personalized license plates now but but seriously it's it's it, there's a, a sense of you can have a sense of pride in your title um, it's, and again, this issue is, is it's idolatry of self. It's, it's putting yourself above other people. But you don't just need to have a formal title in order to feel entitled. Husbands, do you lord your authority in your family? Or do you lord your authority over your wife in, in your home? Again, you're not, you're not it's, it's, you have an office, that of title, or that of, sorry, an office, that of husband, no, no title with it. I guess husband could be a title, but but are you lording that over your wife? You know, do do you view your wife as as a as a servant or as a co-heir of salvation, which is who she really is? Similarly, parents, do you lord your authority over your children? Is your discipline harsh or is it loving? Are you training your children or are you driving your children? This is something that, that I have to consider in my own life. Again, this, this is pride. This is putting yourself above another person. We were talking to our children the other day and saying, you know, if, if, if you come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, you're not just our children. You're a brother and sister. You're kind of, whoa. My kids, you know that. If you, if you become a Christian, then, then you will be your, your mommy and daddy's brother and sister. Pretty cool. But we need to understand that that children, even as children, have are image bearers of Christ. And they have value as human beings in Christ. So, so again, in your, in your parenting, are you, are, you, are you like those Pharisees and just, you know, enjoy, I enjoy that. Yeah, I get to be the boss around here. Dangerous thing. That's pride. We're going to deal with the next two together because they're similar. They, they, they love the best, these are the third and fourth, they love the best seats in the synagogue and the best honor at, at feasts. So in the synagogue, the best seat, there was like a row like this and then rows down the sides in the synagogue and, and they would bring in the, the, the Torah scroll, the, the scroll of the Word of God would, would come in um, in a, a special box. And the, the best seats in the synagogue were the seats right next to the Torah scroll. 
Now, in this Bible, I, I trust that I hope that many of you have open Bibles in your laps, but you all have Bibles right in front of you. So you all are in the best seat of the house, having the Word of God right in front of you. But it's it's understanding there's it's again it's not it's it, the issue is is are you are you wanting to and and Johnny took our spot today, um, no offense Johnny but well, a little bit don't kidding but but it's but but this is this is the 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 reality is is are you are you wanting to sit above or do you see yourself as sitting above other people James warns about this in in James uh, chapter two where the the rich man got to sit in the good seat where the poor man had to sit sit on the floor. Yeah, the, 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 the ground before the cross is level ground. Rich or poor, there's, there's no one who is better or worse in the kingdom of God. Now, again, here at, at church, it's, it's a, there's a few people sitting in the front. This is really cool. Usually we, we kind of tend to be back row Baptists. Um, but I like, I like that you know, when people spread a little bit. But, um, anyway, so, so we need to understand that, that it's, it's about not taking the better seats. And, and likewise, at, at the feasts. So in the homes of a rich man, the, the, the religious leaders would go to these, um, go to these, these feasts, these parties. And, uh, and again, they had tables kind of similar to that, the, at the, um, in the synagogue. They would be kind of like U-shaped. And the, the, the host would be sitting in the middle at the head of the table. And, and the best seats were the ones that were closest to the host. Jesus talked about this in Luke 14. He said, like, don't, he said, don't, don't try to choose the best seat. Sit, sit in the lower seats. Be humble um, in, the, in those contacts. Anyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Luke 14, 11. Again, the issue is, um, is, is idolatry. It's, it's pride. And, you know, I think, again, I said we, we all have, they're all good seats here, but I think one of the ways that, that maybe this could, could be demonstrated in our context is to be content to sit in your seat while others around you are serving, whether before or, or, or during or, or after the service or, or after the in the fellowship time. Some people do a lot of work where others do little or some none at all. And what you're really saying, if, if you're content to do that, what you're really saying is that you are more important than other people in the church. It's selfishness now in addition to pride. In a small church like ours, it's important that we have we have all hands on deck. So the question is, well, well, the 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 answer is you all, everybody, all of us have gifts that God has given to the church. He has apportioned gifts to the church for all of us to serve and to use our gifts for the building of His church for the glory of His name. But the question is, are you using your gifts and abilities to serve in the church? And if not, you are robbing the church. In fact, you're also robbing God. So then Jesus here in these, these first four, Jesus is saying that the scribes loved attention and to be honored in the marketplace, in the synagogues, and in the homes of the wealthy. Too often, that again describes us in our context as well. But there's more. Verse 47. Now, I don't, I don't generally prefer the New Living Translation of the Bible because it's more of a paraphrase, but I like the alliteration that they use here. That the scribes cheat widows out of their property, then pretend to be pious by making long prayers in public. A lot of peas there. It's a good thing you aren't sitting too close. You might get splashed. So they cheat widows out of their property and then pretend to be pious by making long prayers in public. So then fifth, they, they, 
they devour widows' houses. The, the widows, as we talk about the kids, they, they, were, they were defenseless in, in the culture. They were the most defenseless people in that day. Not only did a widow have to deal with the grief of losing her husband, but she had no man to protect her and to provide for her. And so the scribes somehow took advantage of the widow's situation and built them out of their money. And it's, it's hard to say exactly how they did this. Luke doesn't tell us here, but, but, but scribes were, were not allowed to be paid for their teaching, but gifts weren't forbidden. So, so maybe, they, maybe they hinted and said, yeah, like, you know, I'm, I really need a new robe. You know, and they were hinting, they, maybe they hinted at the widows so that they could, they could, um, they could get these gifts. Or, or maybe they convinced the, the widows um, to, as they, to give them gifts beyond their means. And it's also possible that, that as the scribes, as lawyers also took, they took uh, responsibility to widows' property under the guise of helping them to manage property for them, but then, then skimmed off some of the, the money for themselves. So you don't really know exactly how they're doing it, but Jesus says that they were, they were devouring widows' houses. Now, I think the only ones here who'd be in a position to literally devour widows' houses would be Joshua and me and 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 the treasurer in the church. And so it's been, been Karen and, 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 and Janice in that capacity. I think we're the only ones who could actually devour widows' houses. But, but I think based on our, our church polity and, and our, our constitution bylaws that we have checks and balances in place to protect, uh, to protect you, the church, and, and us too, I guess, but from that happening. So again, it's, it's, it, the issue here is, is, um, is what is your heart towards other people? But, you know, again, only, it's, it's only we can have really the position to literally do that. But I think a question that needs to be asked here it is, what does your giving look like? Again, I don't, I don't know who gives how much, but God knows. God knows. And are you allowing others to finance the ministry and maintenance of this church while you enjoy the benefits of this church? If you're failing to give to the church, again, you're robbing others and you're robbing God. Sixth, their long prayers were a pretense. Now, the issue here is not specifically the length of the prayers, but the heart behind their prayers. Their, their long prayers were, were meant to impress others, but God wasn't impressed. They, they, were pray, they were not praying for God to hear. They were praying for others to hear. Again, their prayers were a pretense. They're fake. Their, their prayers were all for show, for appearances. And we need to ask ourselves, how, I'll ask you, how do you... Pray in public. Are, are you more concerned with how you sound to others or with how you sound to God? Again, are you praying to impress people? God will not be impressed. Or do you even pray in public? Some people don't pray in, in public at all. And, and sometimes an unwillingness to pray in public can, can reveal the same heart. Some people don't want to pray in public because they, they don't want to sound bad before other people. Again, that's pride. Now, I'm not talking about when you're a new believer and, and need to be taught or discipled in what, what prayer is and, and what it means to, to pray in public and how to pray in public. I do think it's generally best to pray, even though you might not believe it from the pastoral prayers, 
Um, but I think it's generally best to pray shorter prayers in public and to pray longer prayers in your own private devotions. But do you pray much at all in your private devotions? Some people are really happy and eager to pray in public, but they don't pray very much at home on their own. So some people who aren't willing to pray in public really don't pray in private either. So again, these are, these are six areas where the, the scribes fail to live up to the great commandment, where these so-called law teachers are law breakers. And we all of us have to confess our sin. All of us, I think, have been can, can express some, some guilt in some of these areas. And your only hope is to find forgiveness in Christ. You're not, you're not saved on the basis of, of, what, of, of what you do, but you're saved on the basis of what Christ has done. You're saved by faith alone, in, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. But those who will not repent and put their faith in Christ, in Christ will not receive eternal life. They'll be condemned. And Jesus says that the scribes will receive the greater condemnation. They're going to receive the greater condemnation because their piety was hypocrisy. Their piety was hypocrisy. It's even worse for them because of their position. So that the condemnation for unrepentant church leaders is even worse than, than for unrepentant church members. You know, I shudder to think, and, and these, these are maybe, maybe this is low-hanging fruit, but I, I, I shudder to think of, of men like Kenneth Copeland or, or Benny Hinn and these, these individuals who have built people out of, out of their life savings. All under the guise of serving God. These men are going to stand before God on that day. And if they do not repent, they, like these scribes, will receive the greater condemnation. But again, all of us, we all need to examine our hearts in these areas. James 3.1, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Same standard, greater strictness, greater severity of judgment. Because they were supposed to be leading the people in righteousness, and they're teaching their example, they, they were, but they were using their, the people as they walked in unrighteousness. They will be judged and condemned by God. So can you see how the, the scribes have broken the great commandment? They loved themselves with all their heart and soul and mind and strength. They loved, they loved themselves as themselves. Jesus is showing his disciples that, that the scribes are not examples to follow. This is going to be an important lesson for the apostles as, as they love positions of, of authority in the church. That is, the apostles need to know this. And, and disciples, in fact, not just those capital D disciples, but all disciples, and that, in, that includes you, need to serve others from a heart of love for God and a heart of love for others. So the question you need to ask yourself is, is how do you love yourself more than God and, and more than other people? Confess it to the Lord. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to help you to serve others, to love and serve others out of love and service to him. And if, if you are Christ, he will help you to grow in these areas. But I think what you've seen here, your giving is not just about finances. right? Your, your giving is about giving of yourself. 
it's about investing not just your treasure, but your time and your talents as well. It's about investing yourself and your church family. It's about seeking opportunities to serve. And so again, you, you put off selfishness and you put on generosity. So now as, as Jesus turns from the rich and powerful and the influential to someone who is considered poor and weak and inconsequential, so are we. So the scribes were, were considered rich and, and powerful and influential, and, and now we're going to meet somebody who is considered poor and weak and inconsequential. In chapter 21, verses 1 to 4, the, the widow and the widow's generosity. Jesus now turns from the, the condemnation of the scribes to now commend this widow. Jesus looked up. He, he, he saw the rich putting their, their gifts in the, the, into the offering box. And he saw a poor woman just put in two copper coins. One, two. Little, tiny topper, copper coins. Repeatedly in, the, in Luke's gospel account, he, is, is he emphasized Jesus' focus in his ministry on outsiders. Jesus has a particular interest in the poor and women and widows and and this person this widow is all three and so we we see that there um, she is going to be uh, be contrasted with the people here the, the temple treasury was in an area where there were there were 13 collection boxes and, and each box had a sort of a, a, a trumpet shaped mouth and and on each box was, was written the, the area to which the particular offering was to go. These were free will offerings. And so they would, they would put in an amount into, into the box and, and it, would, it would go to that particular ministry. And Jesus, Luke tells us, saw the rich putting in their gifts. But he singled out this poor widow. And, and so the first person we see, people we see contrasted, are the, the widow and these, these rich people they put their gifts in but she just dropped in two copper coins called lepta the lepta was that was the smallest currency at the time it was was like one-eighth of a penny 132 lepta would make up a denarius a, a day labor's wage just as a, a minuscule amount of money so then we see the contrast between the the wealth of the rich and this woman's poverty between their surplus and her lack. And right away we should be seeing that, that there's a problem here. We have these, these very rich people putting in, in some cases, a fair bit of money. And this, this widow is putting everything she had. So really should have allocated, these rich people should have noticed her as Jesus did and, and allocated some of their funds to her. But so... Um, so Jesus sees what's going on here. Mark, Mark 12, 41 and includes the details that, that many rich put in large sums of money. Now, I don't know whether the rich were broadcasting the amount of, of their money that they were putting in, but Jesus warns against this in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, 2-4. to He says, Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So Jesus' warning there, as much as possible, keep your giving between yourself and God. God is no man's debtor. God will 
reward you, certainly in eternal life, and quite often he will reward you in this life as well. Jesus continues in Luke 21, 3. Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. He's saying that she has put in more money than all of the rich people put together. In terms of a personal cost, she gave more than all of their combined giving. She gave all she had. Verse 4, for they all contributed out of their abundance. They gave out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty. There was no real sacrifice in their giving, but she gave it all. She gave out, gave out of her poverty. Sorry, she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. And the text literally says that she put in her life. A poor widow like this would, would have to live hand to mouth. She would have been forced to live on, on whatever she could, could scrape together. Whether it was through, through charity or, or whether it, was, whether it was, was through almsgiving. She only had two lepta. Now, notice here, she had two. She could, have, she could have given one and kept the other for herself and said, you know, I've got nothing besides this. I don't want to go to eat today. I can't afford to give this. But she said, no, I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to give it all. So again, these, they should have in the temple, they should have been giving to her. Brothers and sisters, please, please don't ever get to the point of being desperate. You think you've got to put everything you have into the offering plate. Please don't ever let it get to the point of being desperate. If, if you're struggling financially, please let someone know. If, if you don't tell anybody, we won't know. And we want to be able to, to help you. And you will get the opportunity if, quite often when you, we've had that happen many times when people who have been, been the, the beneficiaries of benevolence from the church that they themselves have then later opportunities to, to give to others and they do that and it's really a beautiful thing. But I remember I was telling the story just the other day, just yesterday, that uh, when I was in seminary, it was just before my last semester and, and things were, were really tight for me financially. Uh, I was waiting on a, on a, relatively large check from from when I, I resigned from my teaching position in Australia and, and I was, was waiting for this money to come and it was really slow as it getting mailed all the way from Australia and, and I had um, nothing in the bank. In fact, I had less than nothing because it was in the days of, of so-called overdraft protection, which is, which is really robbery and they were charging me every day to have less than nothing in the bank. Um, but but um, I was just, I had my, my passed over for coffee and, and just said, yeah, like I'm, I'm just waiting for this, for this check, and uh, and he said, well, can, can we help you? Can we give you some money from the church? And I said, no, like, thank you, but I'll, I'll be okay. I have food in the fridge, and, and I'll be okay. Um, and I'm expecting the check should be here in the next couple of days. But but I'll never forget what he said. He said, don't rob us of the opportunity of blessing you. Don't rob us of the opportunity of blessing you. If, if if we have, if we're able to serve you in some way, it's it's actually a blessing for us as well. And so, in this particular case, I mean, I, the check, I think it did arrive like the next day or two days later. But, but I just that's that stuck with me. And so, please don't rob us of the opportunity of blessing you. But I think that what Jesus' lesson here, again, in addition to the example, 
uh, this example of the, the the widow as as opposed to to that of, of initially the the rich man is is that the the monetary value of a gift is not what matters most. The monetary value of a of a gift is not what matters most. I Howard Marshall says that that what matters most is not the amount one gives, but the amount one keeps for oneself. Right? See what he's saying there? What matters is is not what you give, but how much you hold back. Even unbelievers recognize this. Fourth century, fourth uh, century BC, Greek philosopher Aristotle recognized that generosity were not resides not in the multitude of the gifts, but in the state of character of the giver. And he says this is relative to the giver's substance. Right? The, the, even if you give a small amount, but compared to what you have, if it's if it's large compared to what you have, it's it's a much bigger gift. So you know if you think of a of a rich person who who makes you know two hundred thousand dollars a year, and they they give they give ten percent. Okay, not you know they so they give they give you know twenty thousand dollars a year. That's that's a lot of money. But they're living on one hundred and eighty thousand dollars a year. Right. That's so so relatively speaking, a person who who makes it has a minimum wage job and and they they give ten percent. They're, they're giving. Is much more proportionately to than that which the rich person is giving, and so you see this again. This is I'm not going to get into with the, the idea of ten percent at the moment. This is that's like a starting point, um, but but the issue is is one of heart. The issue again is one of heart, and so often the little gift comes at great cost. So Jesus is teaching the disciples that it's not the value of the coins, but the quality of the heart. That gives them. Small gifts might be disregarded, but they are sometimes the biggest gift of all. And that's true whether whether it comes in the form of of actual physical giving or in that of service. But as we understand this passage, the the, the widow is contrasted not just with the rich in the immediate context, but with the scribes who we just learned about. And this is this is really the main point here. And so, so don't let the, the chapter and verse prevent you from seeing what's going on here and seeing the context. I mentioned last week the chapter and verse divisions of the Bible are relatively new. And they're usually helpful, but, but not here. These verses in, in chapter 21, 1 to 4, fit better with chapter 20, verses 45 to 47, with what we've just been considering. The scribes devour widows' houses. But this widow helped to build the house of the Lord. Right? The scribes devoured widows' houses, but this widow helped to build the house of the Lord. And, and we're going to see, begin to see next week with what's going to happen to the, to the physical temple. It's going to be destroyed. But the issue of the heart of this widow is the example that we are to follow, as opposed to the, the heart of. of of stinginess and selfishness and pride from the scribes. So this widow, in contrast with the scribes, serves as an example of devotion to the Lord. She serves as an example of, of true generosity. She gave all that she had to the Lord. But she's also an example of faith, right? Because, because she gave all that she had. And she obviously was trusted the Lord to meet her needs. And sure, knowing we did, Luke doesn't tell us, but, but we can imagine that, that the Lord made sure that that woman 
did not go away from there with nothing in her pockets or no food in her stomach. So in all of this, it is, it is the widow, not the scribes, who are the supposed leaders or the examples to follow. As J.C. Rao says, Christ looks at, a man, at what a man is and not at what a man has. Christ looks at what a man is or a woman is and not what a man or a woman has. And then he goes on, paraphrasing here. Some people seem to give much and to serve much, but in God's sight, they give very little and serve very little. Others seem to give little and serve little, but in God's sight, give and serve much. So be careful before you, you know, if, you, if you're seeing somebody not serving in a way that you think they should serve, be very careful not to condemn them in your heart. You don't know the, the, the issues that are behind what's going on, but in, in the context of, of Christian friendship, you could talk to them and, and find out about these things, not sitting in judgment of them. As we think about, about our, our little church, we have many, including widows, who are giving generously and serving faithfully often behind the scenes, filling communion cups, cleaning, washing dishes, making sure the sound system works, posting sermons online, shoveling snow, and a host of other things. But be careful again not to, to judge others for their, their perceived lack of giving or lack of service. The most, you need to be the most meticulous in judging yourselves in these matters. Fight against selfishness in service and in giving. When you serve or give, do it heartily as unto the Lord. People might not even notice, but the Lord notices. Do it for Him. Remember, God doesn't need your money. The church doesn't need your money. The church needs you. The Lord provides. And so you need to ask yourself, are you investing in this life or in the life to come. And quite often our, our finances are actually a test to reveal where our heart is. If we want to have our, our in some cases it's, it's our wealth and we want to consume it on, on the pleasures of this life. In other cases, it's because we want financial security. Oh, I'll give once I have this amount of my bank account or make this amount of money. Are you investing this life or in the life to come? Matthew 6, 19 and 20. Do not lay out for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay out for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I trust we would all reject Joel Osteen's mantra, your best life now. But you need to ask yourself, are you living as though you want your best life now? Brothers and sisters, God gave Christ for you. He purchased you with the blood of the Lamb. God purchased eternity for you through the death of His Son. God doesn't just want your money. God wants you. He wants all of you. God has given you His Holy Spirit as a seal of your inheritance, of the, the great riches, the, the inheritance of Christ that is yours through what he has accomplished. 
He's given the Holy Spirit to you as a seal of your inheritance. And, and he has given you his Holy Spirit to, to help you, to strengthen you, to sanctify you. And so as, as those who have received the riches of Christ, we are rich beyond estimation. 1 Timothy 6, 18 and 19. Do good, be rich in good works, be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for yourselves and a good foundation for the future so that you may take hold of that which is truly life. Our little church has many people who are investing in eternity. Regularly, repeatedly, your generosity blows me away. This little church, so many of you are, are generous with your time and your talents and your treasure. So many of you are, are giving of yourselves beyond your means. Now, if we look at, our, at ourselves, a little church compared to, to a lot of other big churches, we have a tiny little budget. We have a tiny little church. But God can multiply the most meager gifts. We don't need to get hung up. We must not get hung up in the, the numbers and the money. We must look to God who often works through the things that are small and insignificant in the eyes of the world. So I think in, in some respects, our little church is like that poor widow. Giving of, of, of what we have. And we might not have much compared to what the world has. But we're giving what we do have. And that's ourselves. So only eternity will reveal what the Lord has done through, through our little church for the glory of his name and for the advance of his kingdom. But may he help us to continue to grow in these areas. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we thank you for this great treasure that we have of the gospel that you have placed in jars of clay. Lord, we, in light of eternity, we're not the movers and the shakers. We're not the powerful people. We're not, the, 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 we're not going to appear in the lifestyles of the rich and famous. But Lord, we will appear before you. Lord, we will appear before you on the day of judgment. And Lord, as so many of us have a, a hope in Christ, we will appear in the, the righteous robes, which are the deeds of the saints, will appear cleansed through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Lord, as those who have received this gift above all gifts, Lord, we pray that you would help us to be generous with all we have and all we are, out of love and devotion to you and out of love and devotion to our brothers and sisters in Christ. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.